Welcome to RVR's Life After Camp podcast. Learn about the camp and retreat ministries of RVR at rivervalleyranch.com. Enjoy. You guys have an incredible day today at River Valley Ranch. I love this place. It seriously is absolutely, totally amazing. We've been talking about God as the weaver of the grand kingdom tapestry. I think it's a cool idea. How many of you are like super into tapestries? That's a great question. Same thing I asked. What are tapestries? That's a good one. I thought for a minute maybe the ranch picked this theme in honor of the death of our beloved Betty White. May she rest in peace. That's a joke. Betty White really did die. Do you know who Betty White is? Oh, she was like the ultimate grandma. She was like America's grandma. And I thought maybe they got confused. It was a ladies' retreat or something. They chose this kingdom tapestry thing, but they didn't. But here's why I think this is great. These tapestries that we're talking about, they involve sometimes multiple generations working together to create the same piece of art. You're talking about like one person in their lifetime can't always complete the project. How cool is that, right? Think about this for a second. We're talking about God. This is so critical for you to understand. In a room this big, we have all kinds of ideas about God and questions about God. Some of you are hostile. Some of you are curious. Some of you are pretty confident about it. But you know what? I mean, there's always more to learn. And if you get this wrong, well, it's really difficult to get the rest of life right. Because it is the, it is the most important thing. Your understanding about God will determine how you approach him, how you relate to him. It will mirror back to you your understanding of yourself, and it will give you a place to stand on to have relationships one with another. And so we are interconnected, and that interconnectivity is related to our ideas about our creator, about his intention, about his design. Paul said it so beautifully in Ephesians. We talked about this last night. He said, you are God's, and he used this Greek word, poemar. You are God's masterpiece. You are God's handiwork. You are God's workmanship. You're his personal project, the medium where he does his best work. And you were created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. In other words, there's a plan. And you're part of that plan. You ever think about how you actually might be part of someone else's plan too? Like you're part of God's plan and maybe God has a plan for the way that he wants to use you in the life of someone else, the same way he's used other people in your life and story as well. Think about that for a second. If we were to look at the kingdom tapestry, like look at your life, like what were the significant moments that shaped you? Can I tell you like a sad one in my life? I'm going to be vulnerable here. Uh, my daughter's in the room, so I'm going to be careful about this. But um, I was abused by my third grade teacher. And um, I, just want to, I just want to talk just, just for a quick second. I have, we can't spend all night here. But I know that I'm talking to somebody right now who has an experience like my experience. And I'm really sorry that happened to you. It wasn't supposed to happen to you. There are people who are supposed to protect you and keep you safe, and when they don't, it just feels extra tragic. You know what I'm talking about? And the trauma that leaves scars. It left me, as a third grader, I developed a profound stuttering problem. And I was a confident communicator before then, but then this trauma happened in my life, 
And then I started like stuttering, like profoundly. Like I had to go to speech therapy and it was this big thing for me. And it got to the point where it was so bad when my elementary school principal heard from my brother, um, you know what also sucks about my life? It's equally as traumatic, not really. But I have two like really gifted, talented brothers. Don't you hate that? It's the worst. Or I'm like the, I'm like the like middle child. I'm not even handsome. Like these two, like I'm like, come on, God. Anyway, but my like famous brother was telling my principal, "Oh, what happened to your brothers?" And my brother said, well, "You know, Justin, he's a preacher now. He planted a church." And my elementary school principal laughed because that is absurd. And he said, no, really. Like, he's a professional communicator. That's what he does all the time. And she was like, but his speech impediment was just so profound. And she wasn't wrong, right? Uh, listen, that wasn't even a good moment in my life. And I'm going to tell you, that moment shaped me. I don't think God caused I don't think God wanted it to happen. We're going to talk tomorrow night about what happens when the story goes wrong. Like, Listen, God is trying to artistically weave this fabric of redemption with the threads of our lives, including our choices in the fabric of time. And he's working history creatively like only he could towards its masterful conclusion, its fulfillment in the person of Jesus and the coming of the kingdom of God. I mean, there's a beautiful vision where everything on earth will be as it is in heaven. This is this awesome idea. And yet he has to contend with us running around and messing it up all the time, like my third grade teacher did. I don't think that God wanted that to happen. I don't think God planned for that to happen. I don't think he was the, the agency behind it happening. I think it was evil. I think it was the enemy. I think it was the fingerprints of brokenness on the human condition. But yet, it was used in my life in a powerful way. And it's hard for me even to describe how that happens. It doesn't, and I want, please hear me, please, please. I am not saying if you've experienced some trauma, well, don't worry. God's going to use it. Because that just isn't fair, right? And that doesn't sound compassionate at all. But in my life, that was true. I didn't feel it then, but I recognize it now. And I can talk over the years of my life, all these moments in time where like amazing things have happened. And I got used to thinking on my feet and communicating. I got used to one of the things I have to do because of my stutter is I've had to become very verbose. I have a, a large vocabulary because there are certain words that just for whatever reason my brain won't say on that certain day. And so I have, sometimes I have to learn to like say a paragraph to get around one simple word. And if you know me well, like my friends are often like filling in the easy word. Like, dude, there was one word for that one sentence you just said, but I get stuck. And instead of standing there and hanging on the word, I've learned to kind of go around it. Just, you know, drive, just, I take the scenic route, right? You know what I'm talking about? So anyway, it, I can do this on my feet and it's, it's helped me to think quickly. And man, I'm telling you, if you put me in some of the scenarios that, you, that I've been in as an adult, you go back to my third grade self who really, I was in trouble then, guys. I was hurt. I was wounded. I needed help. Could I have imagined where I ended up? Uh, a few years ago, I had a friend who I hadn't seen in a long time, and he invited me to come out. And so I was like, all right, I'm, I'm going to come out and see you. I haven't seen you in a long time. And I said, where do you want to meet? He told me, like, in this bar. And this is, he's like a major party boy. Like, a, I mean, a major party boy. Like, he's one of these guys that, like, 
like at, at some point he was like paid. He was like sponsored because of how party boy he is. Like, you know, I don't know. I don't understand that world. So I'd go to this like club that I never would ever go to on my own to meet my friend. And, you know, there are all these people there and there's all kinds. It's this very diverse crowd. And I realize that like, man, all these people like, they need Jesus, right? And this is, this is, this is a true story. My friend, I'm like, hey, I can't stay long. I got to go soon. My friend says, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. And he grabs, like, the, there's a DJ in this bar, and he grabs the DJ's microphone. And he says, hey, you got to hear my friend talk about Jesus. And I'm like, oh, God, I am not prepared for this. I'm like, what is happening right now? And this is the reaction. I anticipated people were going to be like, oh, I turn the music back on. That's not what happened. What happened was people spun their chairs around and sat down and did one of these. Like they leaned in and I'm like, okay. So I start talking. My friend never left. He like kind of drunkenly hung on to me the whole time and was like, you know, occasionally grabbing the microphone and going, isn't that amazing? And I just started talking about Jesus. And here's the thing. I don't know everything about God. I don't think I ever will. Because I have limitations and God does not. I am, I am finite and he is infinite. He, I, I'm just me and he's the architect behind the universe. He's, he's, he's love itself. He is relationality and beauty and intention and design and intelligence in the most full sense of that word. He is glorious and transcendent and sovereign and powerful. He is holy and altogether lovely and I'm just me. But man, what I'm learning what I'm learning is if you want to know what God is like, look carefully at Jesus. And if you want to know what God wants from you, listen carefully to Jesus. And I want to talk tonight about this way that the fabric of our stories become interwoven, how God uses individual perspectives and stories, even sometimes the bumps in the road and the things that go wrong, to craft this kingdom tapestry. All right. Paul, the same guy who wrote this letter to the Ephesians we're reading from. There's a moment in time where Paul finds himself in Athens. And he's been preaching throughout the region for a while, and he finds himself in Athens. And this is a city where people love to talk about ideas and philosophy, and everybody has a different idea. And there are these kind of two big schools of thought there, the Stoics and the Epicureans. And the Stoics' idea about God went something like this. God is essentially like order or wisdom and so you should kind of have this resignate, uh, attitude of resignation towards like whatever your like hand you're dealt. Like just go with the flow. Just whatever fate tells you, you're like a leaf carried on the wind. You just go with the flow. Accept your station. Don't fight it because the struggle is, is what is preventing you from being happy and content. The, the Epicureans are different. They thought, no, it's actually the opposite. Life is about experiencing pleasure and avoiding pain. And so you should like squeeze all there is out of life. You should just like go for it, like embrace it with gusto. And it wasn't always like pure hedonism. It was like kind of this idea of like, just say yes to the things your heart craves. And, and here comes Paul and he starts talking about Jesus. And he probably felt as out of place as I felt talking about Jesus in a bar, but you know, here's what he did. He's walking around Athens and he realizes these people are so spiritual 
They're searching for God in so many different ways. They, they have all these idols and all these ideas. And, and it's always struck me as a little bit absurd when we talk about God to like make something with human hands, like as a sculpture, and then be like, look, this is our creator. Doesn't it seem a little backwards? You know, like, I mean, I'm pretty sure you just made that. Like, we watched you do it, Larry. He's like, worship it. Larry, no. You have a chisel in your hand. There's still wood chippings. Anyway, here's what he did. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Oropagus, and he said, people of Athens. He's going to, like, address them now. I see that in every way you're very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. They're trying to be like so thorough. They want to make sure they don't leave anybody out. So they like put one up and they're like, to all the gods we don't know about, right? And I, here's just what Paul, it does so great. He just does, he just starts where they are and he's going to find his way to Jesus. He does this so, so well. So you're ignorant of the very thing you worship and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. And he does not live in temples built by human hands, and he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. Now, guys, this is amazing what Paul is claiming here especially to the Stoics and the Epicureans, because listen, what he's saying is essentially like, no, there's an architect behind this whole thing. Like God is in charge. And we could argue all day long the specifics of how God is sovereign and whether choice matters and all that. This, but here's what I want you to be clear on. God has a plan. And you're part of that plan. And he does something here. Paul has a revolutionary concept about who God is and how you can understand him. And I think it will give us a clue to the pattern behind the weaving of this great kingdom tapestry. And if you have ears to hear it, this could change your life. So please listen. Here we go. Ready? He says this. This whole grand plan. Nations moving, people here, people going there. This grand tapestry. He says, God did this. The whole story as we know it. He did this so that they, meaning people, they would seek him. They would seek him. God anticipated you would be looking for him. And here's where we get hung up. Sometimes I think, we think, well, God must be hiding. He's like the hide and seek champion. Because I've been looking and I haven't found him yet, right? Like I'm looking, these other people, like maybe you guys are in worship right now. And you're like, that girl, she like knows connecting with something I just am not feeling yet. Like I just don't understand. I'm not there yet. I don't really understand this. I'm searching, but I'm not finding. Listen to what Paul says that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from any one of us. You mean God did all that God did on a maybe? I'll tell you a little secret about me. Before I asked my wife to marry me, I knew exactly what her answer was going to be. I wasn't leaving it up for chance. You know what I'm saying? Like, I wasn't about to have it be like, honey, I love you. You spend the rest of your life with me. And she said, I don't know. I like you as a friend. 
I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't, I'm not in for that. I, I was, I made, I, it was going to be well and sure I was going to get a yes. Matter of fact, she didn't say yes because she was crying so much. And she just sort of said like, uh-huh, and nodded. And I stopped in this like super romantic moment. And I said, I'm going to need a clear answer. I really did. <laughs> and she was like, yeah. And I was like, still not good enough. I need a yes. I need to hear the whole thing. Why are you doing this? Yes. Okay, good. All right, we're good. Anyway. God did all this on a maybe? You mean God did everything he was going to do because you might find him? You might reach for him? You might do this? Listen, this is awesome. And, and here he quotes, not from the Bible, but from one of their pagan philosopher poets. He says, for in him, we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. All right. I think there's a pattern to the weaving. And I think the pattern is this. I think it's reaching and responding. I think sometimes human beings reach. We ask big questions about life and happiness and, and pleasure and purpose. Why are we here? What is this about? And I think we come up with an infinite number of bad, wrong answers. I think we explore. I think we try things out. I think we try and find God. I think if you survey most world religions, you'll see some part of this pattern. People kind of recognize we're not what we should be. We aren't where we want to be. We aren't quite right. And so we try and close this gap between where we are and where we think God is. We try and like find him or we do these rituals or perform these rules or we be a part of these you know, spiritual quests to try and close the gap, to try and reach up to where God is or find where he is or build a temple so he'll come near to us. But I think we have it wrong. I think we have it wrong. Number one, if you're taking notes tonight, I think that the first part of this pattern is that God reaches to us. This is what Paul said. Paul said, man, he's looking for you. He's not hiding. He's reaching for you. He did all this because he wants to be found. He's drawing close. It's God that closes the gap. Have you ever seen this picture on the, on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel? Have you ever been there, the Sistine Chapel? You're cooler than me if you have. That's cool. That guy's cooler than me. The rest of you, good. Equally uncool. I like this. This is better. Okay, so this picture, and it's part of this grand, I mean, it's like this is like one little thing, okay? You've seen this before. Somebody's grandma has this hanging over their couch. You get bonus points if that happens. Who's, whose grandma has this over her couch? Somebody does. Somebody, you got it right here? Okay, well, I don't know what team you're on, but I just gave you bonus points. I'm the speaker. I'm authorized. What, what team are you, Valor? Noble? Noble gets bonus. One, one bonus point, okay? Thank your grandma. Listen, look at this, look at this. I, I want you to lock this up. Okay, this is, this is, guy, this is, this is big. I don't know if this painter knew what he did. I don't really know. Look at this carefully. Okay, look at this. Okay, now, I don't love that God is just a big bearded, you know, Viking, white guy, okay? That, I don't think that's accurate. Okay, this is supposed to be God. However you imagine him. Looks more like Zeus, but whatever, okay? This is the artist's imagining of how God is. What I think is, like, so biblical, you see God's posture? You see him stretching and flexing and reaching. He's pursuing, he's chasing, he's after it. Man, he's like, I will, I will deal with any barrier. I will cross any chasm. I will chase you. Your ability to run from me will be dwarfed by my ability to pursue you. I don't care how far you run or how many stiff arms you give me. I want to be near you. I want to be close to you. I want to be identified with you. I want to be in relationship with you. You see this? He's like, oh man, he's like straining. And what is he left behind? 
I mean, it is an inch. Some of you can't even see it. It's just a tiny little gap. But do you see the hand, the other hand? That's supposed to be humanity. You see the posture there? There's a word that, that Gen Z has invented for this posture, and it's the perfect word. Theologians need to capture this word. It's the spiritual attitude of a generation. Millennials or Gen Z, I don't know who invented it, but somebody did it. And the word, it's a, it's a hard word to say, so I'm just going to spell it. The word is spelled M-E-H. Yes, you know the word. You guys know this word. This is a deep theological word. Meh. You see this? God is like, I want you. I want to know you. And people are like, meh. Okay, now, I'm just going to tell you a secret. I think God is reaching for you. I think God is reaching for you. And if you want to know how much he's reaching for you, I want you to look carefully at the person of Jesus. I think what we have in the person of Jesus, it, it is mind-blowing. It is, there is no equal like it in any, of, in any other world religion. God enters the human story. He comes. He leaves the majesty of heaven to come into the humility of our dust. He walks. He suffers alongside of us. Listen, this goes, I want you to go back to a third grade little boy abused by his teacher who didn't know which way is up. And I want you to understand, this is the God that would come and weep alongside me and put his arms around me and say, little one, dear one, I don't want you to suffer so. I want to know you and I want you to know me. And in this relationship, in the love that we will share, you will find wholeness and flourishing and thriving. Jesus called it life abundant. This reaching went so far that Jesus went to the cross to die, to reconcile us to God, to deal with whatever was between us. It has been answered in the cross of Christ. This is how bad God wants to know you. This is how desperately God wants to be known by you. He wants He's pursuing relationship. If you don't know everything about God, know this. God, his very essence is love. It is relationship. And that's what Paul does here. It's so revolutionary. The Stoics, the Epicureans, they're talking about ideas, like as if we can talk about somebody like they're not in the room. And Paul says, no, this is about relationship. I want you to know him. I want to tell you his name. This is remarkable. And the other part of this, I think God reaches to us. Number two, I think God reaches sometimes through us. Paul's own story. He had this whole tapestry of people that helped him. Because you know what? This guy, Paul, he used to be named Saul, and he was someone we would call sincerely wrong. He was so wrong that he was creating havoc and causing harm. He had his ideas about God so messed up that he mistreated people so horribly and the first person in his tapestry was this guy named Stephen. And here's the, Stephen was a victim of, of Saul's bullying, of his toxicity. He was a victim. And yet Stephen handled it in such a way, well, he died in such a beautiful way, that Saul had never seen a life like it. And so his certainty was rattled, and he began to be curious, and he began to soften his heart. That is the posture that's, that is the prerequisite for spirituality. It is humility and curiosity. It's openness. It's maybe I'm wrong. And then Jesus came. Jesus came, and, and Saul had this encounter with Jesus, with the risen Christ on the road to Damascus. It changed his life. He repented. He turned around. He stopped behaving the way he was behaving. He started following Jesus. And yet still, there needed to be others that God would reach through. 
Because he had done, he was like a criminal. He had like this rap sheet, this terrible reputation. And so there were these people like, this first guy's name is Ananias. And, and Ananias, he was like the, the one to welcome him into the family of God's people, this underground Jesus movement. And there was another guy's name was Barnabas. And Barnabas, that was his nickname. His, his, his nickname was Barnabas because he was such an encourager. They just called him that. He got like a camp name, right? Like Florida man got a camp name. I don't know how you got that, dude, but that was... I don't know how you earned Florida, man. That was, that's a, there's a story there. Anyway, Barnabas, he got it for a different reason. It was good. And Barnabas like trained Saul up and you wouldn't have this incredible ministry of this guy who became known as Paul if we didn't have this tapestry of people. Listen, God wants to reach through you to other people. And maybe you're here. Maybe you've done this to someone else. Maybe your momentary act of obedience was someone else's miracle. Maybe you participated in a moment of grace just by showing up and being there for a friend or being someone that was loving and listening. I've been doing pastoral ministry for like 25 years, and I'll tell you, the moments that are transformative are never the ones I think are going to be. I'll spend hours preparing a message, and it's some kid that says, hey, I wrote my college entrance essay about that time he took me to Burger King. And I'm like, what? I don't really remember that. And he said, yeah, my parents are going through a divorce and you showed up at my school, you took me to Burger King, and I said, I do remember that now. I showed up at your school to take you to lunch so we could talk. You, at 15 years old, said, I don't want to talk, can I go play in the kiddie land? And I was like, you seem huge to do that, but go ahead. And so at 15, you went and slid down the slide till the Burger King employee told you to get out of there. You're ruining the ball pit for the children. And you laughed and laughed, and I took you back to school. That was the whole thing. And he said, it changed my life. I said, that doesn't make any sense. Okay, I'm just telling you, you have no idea how God's going to use your momentary moment of obedience as someone else's miracle. It's just, it's just there. God wants to reach through you. You're a work of art. Your life in his hands becomes a masterpiece and it puts on display his glory and grace He's invited you to enter the biggest story that's ever been written, the most important. It, it, guys, this is the very nature of making all things new. It's redemption flooding into the brokenness of our world until everything that's broken. Every third grade boy that doesn't know which way is up anymore because he's experienced the worst this world had to offer him finds something beautiful and his life turns in a more dramatic, beautiful, wonderful, restored direction. This is the kingdom tapestry. It's the, very, it's the very weaving together of choice and time and redemption with the grace of Jesus in a transformative way. And you can be a part of that. God needs you to be a part of that. He's reaching to you and he wants to reach through you and he'll even use you and your story before you even know all there is to know about him. God isn't, man, I'm telling you, he's so good at this. Last thing and we're done. Number three, God reaches, he does all this. And here's the simple hope that God has, that you would respond. Okay, the Bible calls this faith. It's just a fancy word for trust. And it, it, I, Guys, we make this really complicated. It isn't complicated. It's really not. Here's what it is. God wants to know you. He wants to be in relationship with you. And he wants you to stop rejecting that reality. This is the starting point of faith to actually trust that in the person of Jesus, God is drawing near. 
to, to, to trust that in the person of Jesus, whatever dysfunction, whatever brokenness, whatever sin, whatever garbage I have that I think counts me out, I will trust Jesus to be the answer to those things and to be the source, the gateway, the bridge. He is the one that, that, that eliminated this gap, that tore down the barriers, that crashed through the doors, that ripped open the gates, that, that went and found you despite your rebellion, your hiding, the silliness of your own ego. He wants to know you. I've been talking to teenagers for a long time. And one of the themes I hear from them is this idea that like God is playing hide and seek. Like They'll say things to me like, I'm just not there yet. I'm just not there yet. Now listen, you've got a journey to walk. I respect it. I honor it, okay? Keep walking though. Because I'll tell you, there's going to be a day when you realize that though you weren't there yet to the point of response and surrender and faith, he's been reaching for you through other people, through moments in your story, with passion. Think about this. Go back to this picture. Can we show this picture one more time? What would Adam need to do? What would the man, the humanity, Adam, by the way, just means human, okay? What would human need to do to close that gap? I mean, is there like a whole book of rituals and prayers? Is there like a bunch of, he's got to like, you know, build a temple and, you know, build a ziggurat and climb it to the highest mountain? No. You know what he needs to do? Stop with meh. Okay, that's all. He's just got to wake up. You will wake up. I'm telling you. Guys, this, this response thing, it's supposed to feel great. Falling back into the arms of grace, right? Letting him do what he wants to do. It's help you find the way to him. Just respond. Let's pray. God, we hear your words through Paul that to a bunch of pagan philosophers uh, who had all kinds of idols and weird thoughts about God and how the world and happiness worked, what you said through Paul was that God was not far from any of us. What you said even about this crowd was that, that they are your children. <laughs> and so we, we want to trust you, who is love itself. We want to trust you, who who is the very essence of relationship that wants to know us. We want to we trust that you're reaching to us through the person of Jesus, the work of Jesus on the cross, that you're reaching through us to other people and through other people to us. And God, I pray that in this room, this week, at some point, one, two, ten, a handful of these students would just respond. They would just stop running. You're so good, God. We trust you. Amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Life After Camp episode. Discover all of the year-round adventures at RVR and find out how you can support our ministry at rivervalleyranch.com. Thanks.